I took the lead. Where's a good station? Somebody's heart. Glorious. Glorious. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again. Relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Hello to all you who are out there listening to the Guardians of Grace podcast. I'm, I'm glad you tuned in. And today we will feed on God's word one more time. And I hope that you taste the kindness of the Lord and can tell that it's good. I want to talk about something that the topic that I was confused about at, from the time I was a kid till I was in my 30s or 40s, a topic that I was confused about completely. It's the idea of being God's servant. I wanted to be the best servant I can. I wanted to serve God just as hard as I could and be holy and pure for him and do everything I could for him. But the question is, in the new covenant, is that what a bond servant of God is? Do you remember Paul starting off some of his letters like Titus or James? I, Paul, a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ to all who are at Philippi or wherever he was sending the letter, he would say, a bond servant to you people. And I am sad to say that for years I had a, a mixed up idea of what Paul meant. For me, I actually never heard a sermon that described what Paul meant by being a bond servant of God to these churches. I All I heard in my modern day Christian experience was that I have to be more dedicated as a servant and I have to choose to serve him more and that to do a better job of serving him and to smoke and drink and do those things is not good service to God. I'm supposed to buffet my body and be a servant and do the things that please God. And I didn't know where that mental image came from. Actually, I do. It just came from the TV set that I was watching or the radio I was listening to or the sermon I was hearing from the microphone. I kept getting this idea over and over and over again that servant is, is supposed to do God's thing and serve him. I'm here to ask you today, do you think that is what a servant of God is as a Christian? Is that what a Christian servant of God is? That's the question I want us to wrestle with today. After years of being confused about the subject and only hearing one side of the coin that I heard from the TV or the radio, I thought I should actually study the Bible myself to see what a servant of God is because that's what I want to be. And I know that that's what you all want to be. With a sincere heart, you want to be the best Christian you can and the best servant of God that you can be. So it behooves us to, to look into what a servant of God is. So I began to look in the Bible, and I think a 
good, clear look at kind of the origin of the idea of what it meant to be a servant of God it is clear. There, there's a spot. It's Joshua 24. Let's look at Joshua 24 and begin to understand why I had this idea that I'm supposed to grit my teeth and with all my human will, I'm supposed to serve him in all that I do and have a mentality of keeping his commandments. Do not lie. Do not steal. Do these things or or there could be punishment or something for being a bad servant of God, that my tires would go flat or something if, if I didn't serve God well. In Joshua 24, I think that mentality comes out very clear. And I believe it, the reason why even today in modern day Christianity, we hear on the TV that you have to be a servant of God, like you're, you're a man serving a God, and you have to do it in such a way that it pleases him, you can disappoint him. And most of the time you do, and you most of the time you feel like a wretch about yourself. But as we're learning this whole idea about getting on the human performance treadmill and trying to please God in your own will doesn't work. And let's see if that applies, that idea uh, applies to this subject the idea of serving God. Is it the human performance treadmill that we're on where we try and serve him like they did in the Old Testaments with, you know, giving all their sacrifices and burning cows and, and smoking incense and things like that? Is that is that our service to God now as Christians in the 20th century, in 2020? Now, Joshua 24 is... is Kind of a famous passage, or at least 2415 is, everybody has heard it. And it's usually used as an altar call. But it's the place in the Bible where Joshua gets up in front of the crowd of Israelites, the whole nation. And these are the Israelites that have had the 614 commands and they have to wake up every day and cleanse their hands in a certain way and treat people in a certain way and look towards God in a certain way and pray in a certain way. And then they have these festivals that they have to, as servants of God, they have to bring them all together and get them all just right the way God commanded them and then, and then have a big celebration for God where they worshiped him and everything. They had to do it just right or they would be punished. And they had to do their offerings just right. And the priest couldn't go into the Holy of Holies unless he did certain things and did them just right. And they even tied a, a rope to him when he went in there because if he died, they wanted to pull him out without going in themselves, because one of the ways you serve God was not to go in that room. Just like when serving God first started, they couldn't serve God by touching the mountain that Moses had gone into to get the commandments, the, the rules for serving God. Well, here Joshua is, they've got all 614 commandments, so they know what is required of them to serve God. In Joshua in 24:15, so Joshua stands up and with a loud voice in verse 14 or in verse 15, we'll say, Joshua says, and if it's agreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, 
choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we would forsake the Lord and serve other gods. And they go on to describe how he brought them out of Israel and everything. But they said, we will do it. We will serve the living God. But as often as that is preached on, they never go to the next verse. And the next verse is the most telling verse there is in the Bible. I thought it's a paradigm shift in the Bible. The Bible never reads the same from Joshua 24 till you get to the New Testament, because from Joshua 24, all you read about is the futility of Israel trying to serve God. That's the paradigm shift. You're no longer really reading history. You're just reading about the futility of the Israelites trying to serve God, because in the next verse, Joshua says, you can't. You can't serve him. You will not be able to, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or sins. See, that's the verse that we should go to, Joshua 24, to. We should not take Joshua 24 out of context and just use it as a manipulative tool to get people to come down the aisle and say, choose this day which God you'll serve, because the very next line says, you can't serve him. You will not be able to serve him. He's jealous. He will not forgive your sins. You won't be able to stop sinning. You can't serve him. But but the people go on to say, we will, we will serve him. And then Joshua says, you know what? You are witnesses against yourself that you chose to serve the living God for you yourself to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses against ourselves. And then Joshua had to tell them, well, stop, put, we'll put down all your other gods and idols then, because as they were making that claim, as they were making that pledge, they still had other idols from other gods. I mean, they never did serve the living God right. But I just want to show the importance of this passage, because this passage, God, God, up till this passage, has set the stage. He populated the earth. He populated a, a nation called Israel. He took Israel out of the land of Egypt by, by performing 10 unbelievable miracles that are recorded in the history of time, and all the world was, you know, had the knowledge that God had done these miracles to Egypt, and then he swallowed Egypt in the, in the Red Sea, and you know the whole world knew it, so he had the whole world's attention. They all knew who Israel was now, that Israel was blessed by God, and then God brought Israel into this promised land, and everybody had to move out. Israel was totally dominant, and it was because of God's power, and the whole entire world knew it. And with the whole entire world knowing that God is the God of Israel, and that Israel serves God, and Israel is 
God's people. Israel is the servant of God, and the whole world knows it. And then Joshua 24 puts the whole world on notice when he says, make the choice, and they did make the choice to choose to serve God, to be his servant, and to do it according to those 614 commands. Do it the right way. And Joshua says, you will not be able to. You'll be witnesses against yourself. And I'm telling you, the paradigm shift begins right here at this part of the Bible, because for the rest of the Old Testament, that's all you read about is the futility of Israel trying to serve God in their own human capabilities, in their own human will and determination. They truly were witnesses against themselves because every page from Joshua 24, 15 till the end of the Old Testament is total and complete futility. That's all you read about. If you see the, if you're looking at the trees and all the events and the little stories of the history in the Old Testament, then you're looking at the trees. If if you're looking at the forest, then you're you're seeing that the the whole of the passages after Joshua twenty four fifteen are all about the futility of Israel. If you see that, then you see the forest. Otherwise, you're just looking at the trees. If you're going, well, I could have maybe done better than that guy did. I'm reading a story about this guy who failed miserably. Maybe I could have done better if I just committed myself more. If you're doing that when you're reading the Old Testament or you're going, man, I, that guy did such a good job. I just have to be a better Christian. I just have to be like him. I've got to show his character. If you're reading those Old Testament passages like that and thinking in your own human strength and willpower, you're, you're supposed to be determined to live better than you're looking at the trees. But if you understand that Overall, Israel never got the status of being a good servant to God. They never did serve God. They couldn't. Just like Joshua said, you can't serve him. You're too holy. Well, they couldn't serve him. He was too holy. And they were witnesses against themselves from Joshua 24 all the way till you get to Matthew, and it starts the New Covenant. The New Covenant started after 400 years of silence. God quit dealing with Israel because they couldn't serve him. He quit dealing with them for 400 years, and he was absent from the scene because he he didn't have a faithful servant. So he just stopped being Israel's God until we get to the new covenant in Jesus is born. So gaining this understanding allowed me to realize that that was the mentality I had for serving God. I was doing the be obedient as best you can and use all your will and determination to obey and to be obedient, not to steal and not to covet and not to envy and not to do those things that God's not pleased with. I realized that that was how I was trying to serve God myself. I knew there was something wrong with it. 
So I began to look at what it means to be a servant of God, and that's what we're going to do today. You will come with me on my trip through the Bible, and we will see together. And believe me, it's just from looking at Bible passages. We will look at the Bible passages to gain our understanding and definition of what a servant of God is. So with this in mind, let's go to, let's say, Philippians chapter 1. And in Philippians chapter 1, we see Paul saying in the first verse, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Now, in that passage, there's one small word that changes everything concerning what a servant of God is in the new covenant, what we are as servants of God. It's a two-letter word. It says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of the Lord Jesus Christ to the saints of Philippi. To the saints of Philippi has an extraordinary meaning to it. It means you're God's servant, but you're God's servant to the people around you. That's the difference between the new, what it means to be a new covenant servant, old covenant servant, because in the, we saw in Joshua what it meant to be an old covenant service, and we saw that they couldn't do it. We never could do this. Why would we still be called servants then if we can't be servants? Because the idea of a servant changed. And it's not us serving the Lord on our knees and and worshiping him and, and then in our own human strength trying to obey all the commandments. It's no longer that. As we're seeing, the whole idea of sin not being our master because we're not under law but under grace, Romans 6.14, we're seeing this idea becomes prevalent. And in that, we, we see right here, that, oh, I don't know what the word would be, but the, the, it's, it's the stark difference between what it means to be an old covenant servant and a new covenant servant. A new covenant servant is a servant to the people around him. I am a servant to the people around me. I know what it's like, what it means to be a new covenant servant of God. I serve the people around me. And it, it made sense. You become a Christian and you go, well, what am I, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? It, it's to serve the people around you by using the power of God in you. In other words, we're allowing Christ to be the servant. That's what he wanted. He said, he who is the greatest is the servant of all. Who is the greatest? Jesus. Then Jesus is the servant of all, and I'm the vessel that carries Jesus around so that he can serve the people around him. That's why when I rely on him to speak through me, I edify the people around me. I can serve the people around me in a much better way when I use the power of God. Does this make sense to you? Does this make sense to you as what a new covenant servant of God would be? He's God's vessel sent to edify the people around us, to edify our mother and father, to edify our brother and sister, to edify our spouse or our boss or anybody around us. Everywhere that we get in a crowd where two or three are gathered, there I'm in the midst and I manifest myself through 
the vessels that have gathered two or three together and I serve them. That's Christ in me, the hope of glory is Christ in me, the hope of being a most excellent service. It's the new way of the new covenant. We're not under law, but under grace. We are not on the human performance treadmill anymore. He made a new covenant with us and we are his servants to the people. We serve the people around us. Simple as that. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. We just are here on this planet. That is our purpose. You see, you wonder what you what your purpose is as a Christian. Why did I become a Christian? What am I supposed to do now? Man, it's simple. You just, just be friends with the people around you. Just be helpful to the people around you. Just do them right and do them good. That's what you are put on this planet to do. Just do good. Relax and do the people around you right. That's what it means to be a servant of God. And the harder it is for you to do the right thing when you're doing what you don't want to do and you don't do what you do want to do and you're doing the very thing that embarrasses you the most, come to God and you come to him. And that's one of the huge differences between the old and new covenant. In the old covenant, when you were disappointing the people around you and messing up and you were ashamed of yourself, you couldn't go to God. You had to go do some offerings and stuff like that because he wasn't pleased with you. And the whole idea is repeated over and over in the Old Testament that he would not hear you if you had sin in your life. And you couldn't come to him because you have to make an offering first and purify yourself that was the Old Testament. He wouldn't hear you when you were having a bad day. In the New Testament, remember, I'll make a new covenant with you and I'll remember your sins and lawless deeds no more. You come to God and you say, God, I'm having trouble. I know you see me as pure and holy, but I'm having trouble. It's not working out with the people around me. Will you help me to blossom? Will you help me to be a better Christian? It's exactly what 1 John 1, 9 is saying. Everybody takes this passage and just butchers it. But 1 John 1, 9 says, if we acknowledge the sin, then he is faithful and just, and get a load of this, he is faithful and just to have forgiven us past tense and then to present tense clean us of all unrighteousness. That means he has already forgiven you. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And 2,000 years ago, he shed his blood and we were forgiven of our sins and we are forgiven. And God is faithful to honor that covenant that he made with us or made with his son about us that our sins and lawless deeds he would remember no more so he's faithful to have forgiven you just look it up in the greek grammar it's past tense second aorist tense at a point of time in the past he had forgiven you in present tense clean you of all unrighteousness. See, when you're having a bad day, you come to him and say, God, I'm having a bad day. Man, I'm embarrassing myself. I can't look in the mirror and I owe everybody an apology. They're all aggravated with me. I've, I've just single-handedly made everybody dislike me and I, I need to apologize to all 
of those people. Can you strengthen me to do that? Can you present day cleanse me of the unrighteousness? That unrighteousness means not getting it right. Can you cleanse me of not getting it right in aggravating all my friends? I don't want to aggravate them anymore. Can you cleanse me of that and make me live in a right way that doesn't aggravate my friends. It's all a simple gospel about our day-to-day life and our day-to-day experience. And it's saying when come to God when you're having a bad day and he will help you blossom once again. Now you may owe the people around you a sincere apology. You may have done something that, you know, hurt somebody around you. You, you may have to make amends. You may have to apologize for what you've done. You may owe them for what you have done. Your mistake may have hurt them. Like I said, you owe them for what you have done. That is not the same as this. Your relationship with God, he made a covenant and he said, I will put my spirit within them and I will cause them to walk right and I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. He made that covenant with us, and he's stuck to that covenant. He sees us as pure and holy, and we are welcome into his throne room to ask for more of his strength and more of his grace and more of his love and kindness and gentleness and goodness and self-control and faithfulness. We come boldly to his throne to ask him to do for us what we can't do for ourselves And what is it that we can't do for ourselves? Be a better servant to the people around us because we are God's servant to Philippi, to Ephesus, to the people around us. We are God's servant to them, not God's servant to God. We're we're not just trying to please God to make him happier because he just doesn't need it. He doesn't need any help from us to be happy. He's got a great kingdom with a great throne and all that. We're his servant now to the people around us, to the people around us, to the people around us. We are a servant to them and we're coming boldly, I say, to the throne of God when we have a problem serving the people around us. And I want to bring us to the actual passage that gives me the liberty to say we come boldly to him instead of being ashamed of ourselves and in wanting to put fig leaves on and feeling like a wretch in front of God and that our relationship needs restoration or something. God's still happy with us. He's just like the prodigal father with his arms out saying, come back to me, son. I'll kill the fattened calf for you because I'm not mad at you at all. Well, that's the mentality we as modern day Christians should have. Otherwise, if we feel bad about us, it's one of the first indicators that we're still under the human performance ideology, that treadmill, that mentality. We're still stuck there. The, the, The chains of the law and human effort to do God's will still have a hold of us. And they had a hold of me for years. I can't tell you how long I was a prisoner of the law and a prisoner of my own human performance trying to please God because I never could do it. I never 
good. And, I, and I'm not a bad guy. I'll, I'll tell you this. You compare me to a lot of people, and I don't mess up much. I, I'm really a, a pretty good guy. But compared to God's righteousness and stuff, I knew there was a vast difference. I knew I, I'm a wretch compared to God. Maybe not to some of you, but compared to God, my human effort is worthless. It does not stack up to good at all. That's why Paul said, I know there, there's nothing good that dwells in me. That is in my humanity. For the wishing to do good is there, but the doing of good is not. That's, I, that's what I know about my human capabilities that I, I best I can do is just wish to do good. But Christ in me, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27, can do the good through me that I can't do for myself. Christ in me, the hope of pleasing the people around me. Christ in me, the hope of pleasing my wife and being good and not aggravating to them. Christ in me, the hope of not aggravating you and all the people around me. Christ in you, the hope of not aggravating the people around you. And when you have aggravated them and you have had a bad day and you do owe them an apology and you feel like you can't come to God, this is when you come as bold as possible to the, to the throne of God. And I'm going to show it to you right in the scriptures. So turn with me to chapter 10 of Hebrews. I'll give you a second to get there, but just tell me if this passage doesn't tell you how to come to God into God's throne you can go to. All the way up there, how to go to God's throne and approach God. Let's see how we are told to do it in the new covenant in the new way, the new way of life. Like Paul said, this is the new way of life in Christ Jesus that I teach everywhere in every church. How do we come to God in this new way of life that Paul taught everywhere in every church? Look with me at, let's say, we'll start, we'll start in verse 12. But God having offered one sacrifice for sin for all time sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time onward until his enemies would be made his footstools for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified or being sanctified. He has perfected you. Now, do you feel perfected? No, no, you don't feel perfected. You, you don't feel like he has perfected you. So what does it mean that he has perfected you? He has perfected you in his eyes. It's not your eyes because you, you see yourself messing up. But remember, he made a new covenant and he said, your sins and lawless deeds, I'll remember no more. So that's how he perfected you. And he remembers your sins and lawless deeds no more. And he sees you as perfect. He perfected those who will be sanctified. You'll be sanctified, you know, day by day. It's, you've heard of the, the, the idea of the process of sanctification. Well, he has perfected in his eyes for all time you 
who who are being sanctified, who or who are sanctified. But it doesn't stop there. It, it goes on, verse fifteen of chapter ten, and the Holy Spirit bears witness to us afterwards, saying, "Remember now, this is the Holy Spirit." telling you he's bearing witness to something that he wants you to know and believe. This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, said the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and upon their minds I will write them. And the Spirit goes on to say, and their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more which is an allusion to Jeremiah 31, 34. And man, I, w- I, I wish that each and every one of you, hey, let me just stop for a second. I wish that each and every one of you would memorize that passage in Jeremiah because that's where he, he just tells us this new covenant that he's going to make. And it's the new covenant that, that you're under. So if you memorize those verses, it would go a long ways towards helping you straighten out your Christianity mentally. If you realize that the new covenant says he's going to put his spirit in you and your sins and lawless deeds, he'll write, you'll write no more. And he's going to be the source of living righteously. I will cause them to walk in my statutes, it says. He causes us to blossom. He causes us to live right with our friends. And he causes us to be pleasing to the people around us. And when we've had a bad day, we come boldly to his throne and say, cause me to live a little better than I'm doing, Father. Give me more of you. I need more of your grace. And tell me if that's not what he says now. After a bad day, um, and the Holy Spirit telling us that your sins and lawless deeds I'll remember no more after that bad day. What does it say in verse 19? He says, now your sins and law in 17, your sins and lawless deeds I'll remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer a need for an offering of sin. Since, therefore, brethren, have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Wait a minute, have confidence. No, no, but you don't realize how bad my day was. No, you you just don't realize what I did today. How could I confidently come to God? And it's telling you right there, point blank. You can read it off the pages. You're not arguing with me about what 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 the opinion is. You're not arguing with me about that at all. You're arguing with the scriptures that you're reading off the page. It says, come confidently to the throne by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, through Jesus coming down as a human being in the flesh and dying for us, and going to the grave and raising again, he inaugurated our new covenant. That's what it says. He inaugurated a new way. That's why I keep saying we're under a new way, a new way of life that Paul says is in Christ Jesus. And I teach it everywhere in every church. And and by the power of his grace, I hope you are the Bible right now is teaching you about the new way in in explaining to you that we are 
truly under a new way. This is what the Bible wants you to realize. I know it's not what I hear in modern day Christianity. I mean, on on the TV or the radio, I I don't really hear it. I, I hear that I need to rededicate and get a little more determined than I was. But when I read the Bible, it says God made a new way and he would put his spirit in me and he would cause me to be righteous around the people that I dwell with, Um, meaning live the right way when I'm around these people, do the right thing, quit messing up, quit making mistakes. I quit making mistakes. He will cause me not to make mistakes when I get around the people. If I come to him with confidence after having a bad day, because the passage doesn't stop here. It says, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near. Let let us draw near to God now after a bad day. Let us draw near with a sincere heart full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, having our hearts cleaned from a guilty conscience. See, the Holy Spirit is supposed to remember Remind you that your sins and lawless deeds God will remember no more. And it cleanses you. It sprinkles you clean from that crummy feeling that you have. You you say, you're right, Holy Spirit. You're right. I'm righteous with God. We're okay. It was just my friends I disappointed. I can come to the throne and I can ask for more of your power, God. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the throne. God, help me. Help me be a better Christian. Help me not to embarrass Christianity. Live through me and empower me to blossom as a Christian in front of these people that I like. I really like them. And right now they're so aggravated with me and I owe them an apology, but I can come to you knowing that it's all cool with, with you and I. You you just have chosen not to remember what I just did today. And you, you've chosen to have my conscience sprinkled clean from a guilty conscience. You've chosen that through the new covenant for me to know that I'm okay with you, that I do not need to sacrifice a dove in, in the oven to get clean In your sight, I'm clean, and I can come to you and ask for more of your grace. I can ask for more of your power. Is Tell me, am I crazy, or is that not what this passage says? Look at it. Read it. Tell me. See, I'm not crazy. It is what this passage says. The passage tells us that he inaugurated a new way of life. He made a new covenant, and in that covenant, he will put his spirit in our hearts and cause us to walk in a way that is pleasing to the people around us. And our sins and lawless deeds, he'll remember no more. And when we ask him to empower us to be a better servant to those people, which is all we are, we are not a servant trying to please God in our human effort. We are not trying to do the 614 commands of the that sacrificial system that never worked. It did what it said, like it says in Romans, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And like it says in Galatians, the law became our tutor to lead us to Christ. So through the law, we realized that we were not good servants. That was our tutor to lead us to Christ, to put our faith in the faithfulness of Jesus to do your ministry through us. We are your servants as in your vessels 
your instruments of righteousness. In that sense, we are your servants. In the sense that by our human effort, we're servants and trying to please you and rub your back and rub your neck and stuff and make you happy. No, you've got all that under control. We failed miserably at that. But servants to the people around us, hey, by your power, I can, I can maybe handle that or at least get a whole lot better by your power. See, it's all about God's power. That's why it says, sin shall no longer be master of you because you are not under law, but you are under grace. And grace is, the main aspect of grace is that it's the power of God to help you live a better Christian life. That's why Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this grace was not in vain for me, for I labored harder than all the rest. But it wasn't me laboring. It was the grace of God in me laboring. Grace of God in me. See, it's Grace is the power of God to make you labor harder than all the rest and to make you labor all the while showing kindness and gentleness and and love and joy and peace, self-control, perfect self-control, faithful to all your friends around you the whole time you're laboring harder than all of them. No, that's what the grace of God does. It causes you to labor with a smile and, and still be gentle as a dove and to blossom and to be better than you've ever been before. If you just rely on the power of God to make you better than you've ever been before, then you will be better than you ever were before. You will be a better servant of God. Have we shown what a servant of God is now? Do you have a a clear mental image of a servant of God. We're serving the people around us. We're not holding a tray by God's throne, waiting for him to take the drink off the tray. We are not in our human capacity trying to please God. We are by the Spirit's power in us, pleasing the people around us. That's what it means to be a servant of God. It's something I do not hear in modern day Christianity. I do not hear it on the TV. I do not hear it on the radio, but I do see it coming from the Bible. And the Bible is what I choose to live my life by. And so therefore, it becomes hard for me to hear what, what I hear on the radio. And I believe from this point on, it'll be hard for you to hear what you hear on the radio. Radio, You'll say, what? I, I, that's not God's servant. I'm not under the law like that to be God's servant. No, no, no. God is in me. God lives in me. And I'm God's servant to the people around me. I'm not going to buy that anymore. I am God's servant to the people around me. And I serve by him manifesting himself through me because I am the vessel that carries Jesus. That's that's all the burden I have is just being a vessel. It's not much of a burden. That's why Jesus said, come to me, all you, you who are heavy laden and need of rest, and I will give you rest. Why will he give us rest? Because he'll do for what for us what we can't do for ourselves. Let him have the burden of the Christian life. Let him get in the ring with Mike Tyson and try and lick the sin nature that battles within us and overpowers us. Because when we get in the ring with our self-determination, 
our self-determination loses. If we get in the ring with God's power, I'm telling you, you can lick those bad habits. You can lick those annoying ways that aggravate everybody around you. And that's really what it's all about. And that's really what you want out of life is just to lick those embarrassing tendencies that you have and just be a, a Christian that everybody's happy with. Isn't that all you want to do is just make the people happy? Wouldn't you be happy if everybody was happy with you and nobody had a problem with you? That's it. That's it in a nutshell. That's the Christian life. You're there to serve those people and make them happy. And your life is a life of service. That's what you do. Serve in the parking lot ministry. Serve cleaning the the bathroom sink when you're in there. Serve in any way possible that you can, any way and every way. Just be a servant of God, but ask God to empower you to do that service, and then you'll blossom as that servant. Everybody will say, man, doesn't that guy do a good job? Yes, he does, because he's not doing it. It's the grace of God in him. By the grace of God, I labored harder than all the rest, but it wasn't me laboring. It was the grace in me laboring, Paul said. Let's do things like Paul did. Let's first understand clearly that just as Paul understood, the idea of being a servant of God is that we serve the people around us, not that we humanly try to please God because we can't. We serve the people around us and our sins and lawless deeds he'll remember no more, but he'll empower us to live a fruitful Christian life. Do you remember Jesus saying it in John 15? I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. For if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. That's all we want to do is live the Christian life. But that passage goes on to say, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from God in us, the hope of glory, we don't have the hope of glory or the hope of pleasing the people around us and blossoming as a Christian. Because it's not the new covenant, it's not the new way of life, it's not the way that he chose for us to live. God made a new way of life in which he empowers us to do it, and that's how he chose for each and every one of us to live the Christian life. It's called walking by his grace. That's why he starts those letter letters off. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. He ends the letters. May grace be with you. May great grace be with you. May you grow in grace because that's the essence of the Christian life. Just to rely on the grace of God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves as we try to serve the people around us. Doesn't that give you direction in your life? Doesn't doesn't that feel like you have a purpose now? That you know what your purpose is? Yeah, I do. I, I just serve the people around me. That's pretty cool. I can do that. That's cool to do. It'd be a pleasure to do that. Just go around doing nice things for people. I don't have to. I'm, I'm not as warrior to punish people and the bad people and everything now. I'm just a guy who's supposed to go about God's business and letting God. Do you remember Philippians 1 6? I am certain of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion. That Jesus, who you received and was placed into you when you were born again, that Jesus who has an eternal purpose for God to carry out, that Jesus who carried out part of it when he died on the cross, 
And the rest of it he carries out through each and every one of us. Paul said, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you, Jesus, who started taking control of you and doing good things to people through you and serving them, he will carry it on till the day of completion. Until he's completed, that task is assigned through you. God says, through Steve, I want to do these things. He's going to do each and every one of them perfect because that's the new Christian life is to let him do the rest of his ministry through us. And I just don't see it on the TV. I don't see that being preached. And I don't, I don't, I think once you've heard this podcast, you'll realize that you're not hearing much of it either. There's a stark difference between what the Bible says and what I hear in modern day Christianity. The Bible sh- truly does speak of a way of life in Christ Jesus, in his power, not in us. A way of life of us being the branches and him being the vine and us abiding in him, not our human effort, in him abiding in us and manifesting himself through us. Then we blossom. Then we blossom. Each and every time he shows up in us and we see the light of the glory of the gospel in the face of the person that's with us, each time we blossom as Christians. And I know that's what you want to do. I know that's what you... I know you've always wanted to be a servant of God and be a pleasing servant of God. It helps to know what a servant of God means. And hopefully, through this podcast, we've come to realize what a servant of God means, that we're serving the people around you and we're relying on God's power to do it, to get the job done. It's a real simple, easy life. It's not complex at all. It's it's a beautiful thing, beautiful thing. So with that in mind, I pray that we would take root in the teachings that the pages of your Bible taught us today. Take root in the fact that our conscience is sprinkled clean, that the Holy Spirit does remind us that our sins and lawless deeds, God remembers no more. And he reminds us of that when we have the worst days possible. When we have the worst days possible, he reminds us that our sins and lawless deeds, he'll remember no more. He has set us as far as the east is from the west to our sin, and he will live through us and produce in us what we can't produce for ourselves. All the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness that we can't do for ourselves. He will bear all that fruit for us. So, Father, just let us realize that. I'm, I'm asking in your son's name to let us realize these truths, the truths that came straight out of the pages of the Bible. Yes, straight out of the pages of the Bible is where they came from. We didn't get them from anywhere else, Father. Got them from your book, so let your book ring true. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.